Welcome into 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I am your host, Drew Creaseman, and as always, I'm excited to be talking Colorado Rockies baseball with you here on the show. Two topics of conversation for you today. One is my conversation with Bud Black on a potential rule change that could and I think should be introduced to Major League Baseball this year. And the second topic of conversation will be getting you up to date on where the Rockies' top prospects are right now, and of course our ongoing conversation about how they are, or in many cases are not being utilized, what the strategy is there, and what the strategy maybe should be there. So let's begin with the first thing for most of you who hopefully read the article on milehighsports.com. This will be an expansion of the conversation, but essentially this whole thing broke down Thusly, I noticed that the Colorado Rockies were losing a lot of their starting pitchers. You may have noticed the same thing (laughs) on account of... Right now, a lot of it's been random. Uh, Obviously, the Ryan Feltner thing doesn't have anything to do with the conversation that we're talking about. That's just a scary situation that can... Uh, that happens occasionally in the game of baseball, and it's always kind of just horrifying when it does, but it's fairly rare, right? These other things, though... You do wonder a little bit, especially with guys like Marquez and Sensatella, who have been so sturdy throughout their career, so reliable, so healthy, and all of a sudden they're both having these, you know, big long-term injuries. And Baseball Prospectus wrote something that I ended up reading about the potential for the new clock to have aided in this, right? And obviously we're very early in the data with all of it, so there's nothing that's conclusive, but essentially the logical thought is clear, right? Anyone who knows anything about pitching knows that sometimes your arm gets inflamed a little bit. Guys need to calm down a little bit, and that's why you only throw X number of pitches. That's why guys ice their arms or or, or put towels over their arms. Sometimes they heat. There's a lot of different things depending on how it feels, but there's a constant attention paid to the arm, right? And making sure that it's in the best condition, and of course, the body in general. And a lot of pitching is conditioning. And I've absolutely noticed that there are a lot more guys who are pitching when they're a little bit more gassed on on every team. When the Rockies are doing it, it's competitively maybe equal across the board. But without digging into the science, and I think with a lot lot more data, we're not going to be able to tell anything conclusive. But it logically would make sense that more pitchers are experiencing injuries related to fatigue uh, because they don't have as much time to slow down and recover. And I think there can be some adjustments to that. I don't think that the end conclusion to this train of thought is, well, therefore we should get rid of the pitch clock, right? I, I don't think that that's what anyone is really arguing here, but there, there's an interesting conversation to be had. And then in having that conversation, my immediate thought was, well, wait a minute, why do the batters get this timeout under the new rule setup. Like, obviously, right back in the day, and by back in the day, I mean a couple of months ago, <laughs> for the 100 years before that, but back in the day, the batter could call timeout as often as they wanted, uh, right? And and the pitcher could kind of step off the mound as many times as they needed. If they needed to get reset, if they needed to catch their breath, let their heart rate slow down, whatever. And that led to a lot of gamesmanship and and got us to the situation where we were in, where we arguably very much needed that pitch clock, right? Because the stepping off was getting ridiculous. 
at the same time going from being able to step off the mound as many times as you need to to not being able to step off the mound at all without costing yourself something competitively seems like a pretty drastic shift to me right they had to clarify during spring training this thing with the batters as well when they called timeout there was this weird conversation about, okay, you can call timeout and step out of the box, but then the clock starts right away. So you're you're immediately back on the clock, and what if you just got dusted off the plate, right, and your heart rate is, is through the roof? Or what if you just hit a, a long foul ball that looked like it could have gone either way, and so you've been sprinting around the bases, and you're all the way at second by the time it goes foul. Now you got to go all the way back to the plate, and the clock is rolling the whole time, right? All these kinds of rules. So they, they figured they needed to clarify that and what they basically decided was that when the batter calls timeout he gets within reason within the umpire's judgment here obviously essentially as much time as he needs because it's his only timeout to get himself ready get himself right and get back in the box and i think that the pitcher should have that same right you know now I'm gonna I'm gonna play this bit of audio for you and then talk about the rest of it because that's where we get into maybe some of the pushback about whether or not this is necessary, which you'll hear Bud Black. That's where he kind of starts here, right? But then the kind of end result of well, what would really be the harm? So here is my very brief. I think this is about a minute long uh, back and forth with Bud Black a couple of days ago. Hey, buddy, there was a report in Baseball Prospectus recently suggesting early signs that maybe some pitch clock effects on pitcher injuries. Yeah. I, don't, Take I don't know, Drew. I, I, I hope not. I don't, I don't think so. I really don't. I think, there's, I think there's far more other factors than the pitch clock. That's just me. Should pitchers have a timeout? Uh, they have one. The disengagement. But that takes one of your, right? You can only do that. You can that, do that, that twice. Can you, I mean, but with nobody on base, if you're, I mean, a pitcher to let their body calm down. If the batter gets a timeout, competitively and physically, wouldn't it make sense for the pitcher once an inning maybe to say, hey, I need a second? You know, Drew, that's not a bad idea. Might be the first one. I, 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 I don't know about that. I, I don't know again. You know, I've read your stuff over the years, and you've got some good ones. I, I, I'll add it to a list of many other uh, things that make sense. But I'm going to talk about that. It, it would make yeah, sense, I, I think. Sense. I, yeah. <coughs> yeah. I don't know how you call timeout yeah, without balking, no, but you just, step off and mound, declare. Off and say time. Yeah. So yeah, as you heard there, I think initially the first thought, and there were even subsequent conversations of, you know, not only can the pitcher obviously step off to throw over to a base a couple of times, and that's something he can do to give himself a minute if he wants, but obviously you've also got mound visits, right? That's another thing that you can do. But as I said before I played the clip, all of those things cost you something competitively. You only have a certain number of mound visits, so if you need to take one strategically later in the game and you've already used one to give your pitcher a breather, you know, again, back to the batter can take a timeout without it costing him anything else further down the line, strategically, competitively, any of that. And I just think that the pitcher should be allowed to do the same thing. And I, and I think you kind of heard Bud Black at the end there, earnestly consider it and go, you know, they're really... You know, what would be the harm in that? Especially if, as I clarified there, it's once an inning. I think once a batter would be egregious, you know, I, that, that would get us a little bit closer to back where we were before. But 
if at any point during the inning a pitcher's got to, you know, get off the mound and, and make a tough play or, or run to back something up or, or whatever, maybe it is just calming the heartbeat down. Maybe it is, like I, I said before, maybe he, his arm feels a little bit more inflamed and he feels like, I need to take a second, I need to let my body cool down before I throw my next pitch. I think it's possible, but obviously I have no way of proving that it could lessen the injury load. It, it seems logical, but obviously there's no way to know if it would have any impact to one we know whether the clock was a factor in the first place, which, as you heard Buddy say, he, he really didn't think that it was. Uh, but then it would be interesting to see if you could have some counter data to that. But even if there's zero impact on the health of the players, I still think that this rule should be implemented. I think that pitchers should have that same uh, psychological part of the game as well. I very vividly remember my father teaching me the quality of a well-placed timeout when a pitcher is in a rhythm, right? That uh, people don't often think of baseball as a rhythm game, but you can absolutely be in a rhythm on the mound. You can absolutely be in a rhythm at the plate. And as the rules stand right now, the batter has the sole ability to interrupt that rhythm whenever he wants, right? To call his timeout, and, and that's a certain kind of power that the batter has where, you know, if the pitcher's in a tough spot, if he's given up, you know, back-to-back -back singles with two outs that were kind of broken bat, and again, he kind of had to run around to get him, and then he loses a guy in a 3-2 count on a real close pitch. Now he's loaded the bases where he had two outs five minutes ago. There's so much going on. He steps on the mound against the other team's best hitter. He doesn't like what he's throwing. He already did a pickoff move a minute ago. He doesn't want to lose that. He should be able to just step off the mound saying, I'm taking my timeout. I get a timeout here. I'm going to catch my breath, whether it's the arm thing, any of it and all of it, right? And once an inning. So you have to be strategic about it too, right? You don't want to use that thing willy-nilly. And, and I would imagine for the pace of play people who are worried about, well, that means we're going to have nine more timeouts a game. More often than not, you're you're not going to have that, right? During a clean inning, a pitcher's going to want to keep his rhythm. The same way you, you usually see like a guy who's feeling good at the plate isn't going up there and using his timeout. More often than when you see that timeout, right? You see that timeout when a guy gets into an 0-2 count real quick and the clock has forced him right back into there and he's just been way off on the first two pitches and he's just not quite ready mentally. He hasn't thought through what the pitcher is going to try to do to him now, what he needs to be prepared for in this 0-2 count, and he takes his time out. He gives himself a little more time to think, right? And that's all I'm saying is the pitcher should have that same ability. And uh, I hope to catch up with Bud Black after this brief road trip and see if he's thought about it anymore and see if there are any more conversations going on. And I might even talk around with uh, some people more related to like the league and stuff, get out of the, the sort of rocky circle that I, I tend to stay in because I, I actually think this one's kind of a no-brainer. Uh, I, I don't think you lose anything at the end of the day. While I could understand some people still coming down on the side of, well, it's unnecessary. Just take your pickoff attempts or or take your mound visits. And ultimately, you don't really need to give the starting pitcher this in the grand scheme of things. The same way that giving the batter a kind of indefinite timeout hasn't dramatically changed. You know, we obviously still have our much shorter game times. We'd still have our much shorter game times if pitchers are taken you know, a couple of timeouts during the game. That's only going to add 20 to 30 seconds uh, onto the clock at any given moment in time, right? And I think we'll get you a, a better, uh, fairer competitive uh, moments there where you're not going to have pitchers feeling like they're totally rushed through their rhythms. But 
I'd be very curious to know if there's any other element of that that I haven't quite thought through. Like I said, it was just sort of a thought that came to me as I was going up there to ask Bud Black these questions. And so I wasn't really expecting it to go to the place of like, yeah, actually, maybe the league should make that rule change. It was just like, hey, it, just a logical train of thought, right? So we'll see if anything uh, ends up coming of that. But uh, I appreciate Buddy earnestly considering the question, even though that natural inclination was to say, I'm not sure, you know, this is necessary. I really appreciated his his earnest consideration there. All right, let's go over to our other topic of conversation for the day, and that is the Colorado Rockies minor leagues. As most of you know, the guys at AAA continue to rake. Let's start with some AA stuff, and then I'll close on the big conversation that uh, is taking up most of the season as well it should. Uh, the unfortunate news down in AA is that Zach Veen and Drew Romo aren't off to blistering starts uh, by any measure. They've been okay, and, and there's really not anything to be, I think, super concerned about here. It needs to be always pointed out that the Eastern League is a pitcher's league, to be sure, and these players are both still very, very young, and it's a tough level to adjust to. If you go back to the minor league careers of a lot of Rockies players who have panned out incredibly well, you'll find uh, some tough numbers in their first go-rounds at double-A. That said, Zach Veen hitting 240, 319, and uh, on basing 319, slugging 365. He's only hit one home run. He's driven in 19. Uh, he does have 12 stolen bases. He's still doing the thing where just about every single time he gets on base, uh, he's swiping second, if not second and third, continuing to prove that he's going to be an absolute nightmare on the base paths uh, when he gets to the big leagues. But a little bit of a reminder that, you know, an exciting spring training and all of these things that you got to pump the brakes a little bit on just forcing these guys straight to the bigs. Uh, I said it when they were sent down that it, no one should have been surprised by this, and it was absolutely way too soon to be clamoring for Veen and or Romo at the big leagues out of the gate this season. Uh, the hope here has got to be that in the next month or so they can get hot and they can get the, the call up to AAA uh, around the middle of the year. And I think that that's a, a perfectly fine place for both of those players to be. Drew Romo also not doing super great, hitting 206, not good on basing 257, not good, slugging 299, not good. Two home runs, nine ribbies, so you're not getting a ton there. Of course, it's always important to remember that Drew Romo is a very, very, very good defensive catcher. And so even when you're not getting much from him uh, offensively, you are still getting defense at a prime defensive position. Zach Veen's a great defender too, but he's primarily going to be playing right field, uh, especially if Brenton Doyle is going to cement himself as a center fielder. And I said this throughout all of the offseason, that was the best case scenario. Uh, I wondered about it being a long shot because of Doyle's bat, and that is still very much a question. But Doyle, as, as we've all seen, remarkable defense, remarkable athleticism, right? And then you don't have to put Veen, who you're really hoping can rake for you, out in that spot where he's going to have the wear and tear on his legs. Zach Veen absolutely has the ability to play center field. The same way Carlos Gonzalez absolutely had the ability to play center field. It's just not what you want. It's not the best way to maximize your roster. So this Brendan Doyle stuff, as much as it's great news for Brenton Doyle and for the Rockies just for him being good and it's exciting just for him there's a kind of domino effect where it's also great news for the potential maximization of the Rockies top prospect outside of Ezekiel Tovar and that's Zach Veen so not hitting great so far but still you've got to be 
uh, a little bit patient with these guys, and that's fine. Uh, they do have a couple of interesting guys putting up some lofty power numbers. Grant Levine has hit five home runs. That's not a ton. But still, he's a guy I've kind of kept my eye on as a maybe potential DH thumper type of a bat for this team. He's had some pretty impressive power numbers in his minor league career. And Hunter Goodman, who's really gotten on my radar really through this spring training, the offseason a little bit. I was like, okay, I'll look in there. But he's hit 12 home runs in the Eastern League to go along with 13 doubles. That gives him a slugging percentage of 622. He's also batting 260 on basing 340. 46. Uh, so he, he's doing pretty well. He's one of those big, you know, first baseman. He can catch a little bit, plays a lot of DH, uh, big strikeout numbers, decent walk rate, but he's an interesting guy uh, that hasn't really shown up on a lot of the Rockies' top 10 or even top 20 lists throughout the years, but is starting to make his way up those. And so it'll be interesting to see if a big year from him can move him up all those lists. All right, let's go to the guys in AAA, the guys uh, who obviously continue to be the, the talk of the town. And I'll end on Nolan Jones. Uh, Michael Tolia, as we all saw, has been called up. He's in the lineup again today in Texas. And, you know, he was doing pretty well there. Got off to a bit of a slow start, but 857 OPS uh, once he was called up with the eight home runs. So you're, you're feeling better about where Tolia is right now. That's all fine and good, right? But what you're, of course, very, very, very excited about is a Lauris Montero and Nolan Jones. Now, of course, you're you're probably frustrated that they're in AAA if you're listening to this, and uh, and I totally get that. I'll I'll end on that conversation, but just to, for the good stuff, right? In 21 games since Alaris Montero has been sent down to AAA, he's had 100 plate appearances. He's hit nine home runs. <laughs> already driven in 27 in 21 games he's got 27 ribbies he's walking eight percent of the time striking out 21 percent of the time he's hitting 345 on basing 400 and slugging a lofty 713 that's good for a wrc plus of 153 in other words alaris montero has been an elite hitter since the second he stepped back down into AAA, and that's fantastic, right? That's what you want to see out of a guy who's rightfully frustrated. Man, you think you're frustrated as a fan at Montero getting sent down. Imagine how he must feel, how easy it would be to hang your head and go over for a week and just be mad and overswing and trying to hit a home run. I mean, maybe he is trying to hit a home run with every swing because he got nine of the suckers in, in 21 games, right? So uh, whatever his response was, maybe he did get angry and maybe that works for him. Whatever is going on internally, this is the best case scenario for sending a guy down is that he responds this way, that he absolutely rakes. As I think I've mentioned before, he hasn't been playing any third base. It's been first base and DH, which that's fine by me, especially if the Rockies go forward and make some smart trades at the deadline this year and move on from some of these veteran guys. And then you really can start making him your everyday DH more often than not with sporadic playing time at first. I was very happy to hear them talk about how excited they are about Michael Tolia's defense at first base and about how that was one of the big reasons why they called him up. Of course, I hyper-focus on these types of numbers when we have these conversations, especially at the AAA level. It's a little bit more difficult to be like, and he's doing XDRS on defense because we don't really keep those numbers at that level, right? But Tolia is a phenomenal 
defender. And of course, we want to see a guy with that kind of raw power be able to hit. It's like the Ryan McMahon conversation we've had before. You know, we always want to see the bat get there. And when it doesn't, we end up kind of underrating the value of elite level defense. So hopefully Tolia can at the very least let that show out, especially again, if they're going to trade those veterans. But Montero doing what he needed to do. Uh, Hopefully he'll be back at the big league level before too long. Uh, Well, hold that thought for just a minute. Let's talk about Nolan Jones and I'll do the strategic thing at the end. Okay. Nolan Jones, you ready for it? Hold on to your butts. In 35 games, that's 170 plate appearances. Nolan Jones has hit 12 home runs. He's driven in 41 runs in the 35 ball games he's played. He's stolen five bases just for good measure. (laughs) He's walking 16.5% of the time. That's ridiculous. It's one thing to be hitting 12 home runs, you know, in, in 35 games, driving in 41 in 35 games, but walking nearly 17% of the time. He's got the strikeout rate down, but not super low at 23.5. Now, if he could carry that over to the big leagues, 23.5 is absolutely what you would take out of him, especially if he's going to walk like that and hit for this kind of power. Now, now obviously, this isn't going to translate to the bigs, you, you wouldn't think, but a batting average of 358. An on-base percentage of 476. The guy's almost getting on base half the time. And he's slugging 715. So I regularly pump the brakes and, and remind people that, look, having incredible numbers at AAA does not mean that you should automatically necessarily come up to the big leagues and that it's going to translate or even kind of translate. I don't like picking on guys, but I can give you a long list of names, including Joshua Fuentes and last year, Winton Bernard, who have been like the best player in the league in AAA, but still didn't quite have that skill set that it was going to translate to the majors. That said, I do believe that Nolan Jones has the skill set. I think the Rockies believe that Nolan Jones has the skill set. And I think slash maybe hope that what the plan here is, is that the next time Nolan Jones comes up, he does take over at third base for the rest of the season. And I don't think they were ready to commit to that yet. And so now we have to have this conversation. That's why I wanted to end on this, right? Because it it first and most importantly ties directly to Nolan Jones. I said this on the AMA with Kim Becker. Hopefully you all are following her and you're following those AMAs for Mile High Sports uh, on Twitter, they've been a lot of fun. And then the YouTube channel, all the stuff that's going up on YouTube. Please make sure you're subscribed to that because I have so much, like it's the most fun I've ever had making Rockies content, the stuff I'm putting on YouTube right now. So please do go and check all that stuff out. Uh, and in this conversation with Kim, uh, I used the, the quote from REM, right? Stand in the place where you are. We can't go backwards and unsign Jerks and Profar and Mike Moustakis and Harold Castro and Randall Gritchick, right? Who was obviously traded for. Those guys are on the roster. They're on the roster right now. So the question, as I record this on May 19th, of what do you do with the roster right now? I know there are a lot of fans and probably some media who would say, just get rid of those guys. Just cut all those veterans off your roster and call up the kids and play them for the rest of the year, right? It's simple. But the fact of the matter is, if you're truly about maximizing assets, the best thing to do here especially with guys like Grichik, Profar, and Castro playing pretty well, 
Profar is riding a 26-game on-base streak as I'm recording this. Grichik has been hot as the sun since he's come off the IL. Castro's been really good at home, which doesn't help the, the trade case especially. But there's value there in a guy who can play basically every position on the diamond and has a really good contact rate. Right? Not a ton. You're not going to get a top prospect for any of these guys, but all of them have value. Cutting them for nothing is not a good use of your assets. So, in my view, it makes perfect. Now, if it was me, I'd be shopping them right now. I wouldn't be waiting till the deadline. I'm, I'm with you all there, right? If if somebody sees that Randall Gritchick is real hot right now, maybe they've had an injury, they need an outfielder, they want to take advantage of his value right now, they're, they're in a race or whatever, I would absolutely move Randall Gritchick, uh, though that doesn't really open up. The, the, the guy you really need to trade at this point, especially, is Castro. But he plays a lot of different positions, so I understand why that's the issue. But what need, ultimately, however the specifics play out, and I ultimately don't think there's a huge difference between this happening right now and it happening a month from now. Um, but what needs to happen is Nolan Jones comes up and becomes your everyday starting third baseman. Ryan McMahon cements himself back in over at second base for now, because obviously no Brendan Rodgers. Harold Castro's been doing fine there. But again, if we're maximizing for young guys, you, you move Nolan Jones there and you can move Mac back over to second base. If you've traded Crone or Blackman, which I don't necessarily expect the Blackman thing, the Crone thing I could absolutely see happening, then you can either cement Tolia in at first base or if he's not hitting... You can try to bring Montero back up and put him in at first base, but you've at least got your options there. And then if you are if you do manage to move Gritchick, then Tolia can also factor in in the outfield, right? And this is all considering that everybody's healthy, which right now they're not, right? So, so if either Crone or Blackman is on the IL for any extended period of time and you've still got Montero raking, then you can bring those guys back up. As it stands, as frustrating as it is to see this, I uh, call him a kid. Jones is 25, isn't he? Yeah, <laughs> he's not a kid. Uh, Nolan Jones, as frustrating as it may be to watch him absolutely rake and think, boy, the Rockies could use that in their lineup, a guy capable of that kind of power rather than Harold Castro, the best case scenario is to get something for Castro rather than getting nothing. And you're still going to have Jones, right? If keeping, and I said this before about the whole thing when he got called up for a weekend, didn't play, and then they sent him back down and people are going, they're screwing with him. It's going to totally mess with his rhythm. And that's what you're going to need to cool the guy. Obviously, clearly it didn't cool him off at all. He was fine, right? And as I said, during that whole saga, if that screws the guy up completely, then that's a strong argument to be made he wasn't ready for the big leagues because that's the kind of thing that happens, right? And it's a similar thing here. If continuing to be in AAA for the next two or three weeks is going to screw up Nolan Jones, then what we're seeing right now is a flash in the pan. Now, if he can keep it up, maybe not at this level. I mean, a 182 WRC plus is difficult to sustain for an entire season at any level, right? But if he can continue to be an elite level hitter 
over the next several weeks. That also shows one of the most important things that the Rockies need to see out of him, which is consistency. And then at that point, not only have you learned even more about Nolan Jones and gotten, you know, that out of him, you can then move and trade these veterans rather than just cutting them for nothing. And if the veterans turn out to not do that well, then again, all you've lost is a couple of weeks, uh, you know, at the most. So I get the urgency for it for our own kind of selfish reasons. We love uh, watching the young guys get better. Again, as I said, with the Kim Becker thing, get an MILB TV subscription. Easy for me to say. I think sometimes those things are expensive. Some of the games are free. You can find them for free. You can find highlights and stuff. Keep up with the Albuquerque isotopes and the Hartford Yard Goats is what I'm saying. If, if, if you're really just clamoring for information on these guys, because they're not stuck in limbo. They're not, you know, rotting away somewhere. They're getting in good work. Uh, they're doing the good work. You're getting some pretty great results here out of Montero and Jones, especially. So if the Rockies play this thing right, they absolutely can maximize their assets. And it absolutely does make sense uh, to keep those guys in AAA for now as the roster is set up. But obviously, it makes less and less sense, you know, the closer we get to that deadline. Uh, and if we get past it and all those veterans are here, you'll hear, you'll see me completely flip my tune on this entirely. They, they've got to eventually make this move. They just don't have to do it right this second. So in the meantime, try to let yourself, as a fan of this team, enjoy the fact that the Rockies have two guys who are knocking on the door to the big leagues and doing it with big bumps numbers and that hopefully in a month or two Romo and Veen will have caught fire and we'll be talking about several prospects who are ready to come up and give the Rockies a boost demanding that they trade these veterans away because that's the other way that it has to happen I've mentioned several times before about how like there there has to be a certain amount of production out of the veterans in order for them to be you know, tradable and for other teams to want them. But there also has to be a certain amount of production out of the guys behind them for the Rockies to go, yeah, we're ready to move on. And I think we're getting closer and closer to that point. So these are all good signs. As frustrating as it may be in the moment, all good signs for the most important things about this season with the young guys growing. So let me know what you think about all that. Again, uh, the stuff at the beginning about the timeout and the rule change and then how you're feeling about the Rockies' top prospects right now. Speaking of prospects, we're going to get to watch the first Major League start of Carl Kaufman this afternoon slash evening, depending on where you're watching it from and uh, when you're listening to this. So everyone hold on to your butts. It's just another one of these. It's going to be an interesting season and continue to be for the Colorado Rockies. I appreciate you all for listening out there and being absolutely awesome. You know that I will continue to be absolutely Drew Creaseman in here. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark.